Now you've done it. It's showtime! Hello and welcome to the Play Better Pinball Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to our Twitch channel at twitch.tv slash playbetterpinball and also look out for our podcast on your favorite podcatcher. You can also follow along with our progress on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash playbetterpinball where you can interact with the community and we are always open for suggestions and discussions at playbetterpinball at gmail.com. Welcome to episode two, guys, coming to you on this gorgeous autumn day outside Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm Evan Bookbinder, joined by my great friend and amazing pinball player, Chris Stevens. And wow, we have an episode in store for you filled with fun, excitement and controversy. Chris, what do we have today? That's right, Evan. We have a amazing thing to talk about today. First off, the title of this episode is going to be 2TD or not to TD, basically discussing whether or not tournament directors should be playing in their own tournaments. That will also roll into the next part that is the role of the state representatives. We're going to be discussing that they're possibly getting a little more intuitive than they, than they used to be in the past because, well, now there's a lot more money involved. We also have a segment of What's Up in Pinball, where we're discussing the current happening that's happening. And then we have the Stern Heads Up Pinball Invitational, where we're going to discuss what had happened and what we would like to see happen to possibly improve upon what they have done. we got a lot of fun stuff to talk about, but let's roll into our first part, which is 2TD or not 2TD. Basically, Evan, the tournament director is what runs the tournament. That is a person that has the rule book. They are able to hand out yellow cards or eject a person. They are the one that makes the final call on a ruling. Have you ever been a tournament director, Evan? I have. I have done this a few times myself. Uh, it's, it's a fun experience, but it's one that's very different from playing in a tournament. I actually have never been a tournament director. Really? I've always been a player and a spectator. I actually would have bet a large sum of money on the other way. <laughs> That's unbelievable that you've never uh, run a tournament. Well, maybe we'll we'll get you some experience here when things get back to normal. Uh, trust me, I've always wanted to run a tournament. And I, I actually really enjoy volunteering. Uh, I was actually on the, the Pinball Nerds podcast discussing how much I enjoy volunteering. And uh, I definitely want to do it in the future. Don't get me wrong. And like maybe if I end up winning Pinburg sometime in the near future, I would be totally fine with just being a volunteer from now on. But, uh, you know, I, I love playing. You've done everything but win. <laughs> I've done everything but win. That's true. Everywhere. I've even, <laughs> I've even been late, right? Yes, you, you have uh, had an excessively long dinner. We'll, we'll leave it there. Uh, thank you. But But basically... Maybe the thrill of playing is what's preventing me from becoming a TD because I want to play, which might be what some of these tournament directors are doing. They're basically put up with the thought that, do I want to play pinball 
or do I want to be the tournament director of this pinball tournament? Now, I've played in tournaments where the tournament director has also been playing in that tournament. And these have ranged from small tournaments to very, very, very big tournaments. And that's what makes this so difficult, because should we look at this that we can only allow it for smaller tournaments, but not for bigger tournaments? And I think that's where this thought process is coming up, because do we want pinball to turn into a much bigger thing than what it currently is? I mean, and in the in the long run, for me, yeah, I would love to see that. I would love to see sponsors. I would love to see the media discussing what's happening in pinball. And while I don't think that is going to happen anytime soon, it, I feel like that's a direction we would want to go. Would you agree? Yeah, and I think it's a direction that's coming sooner than later or is already in, in, in progress. And when it comes to the, the tournament director, you know, I've only been involved in competitive pinball for about four and a half years now. Um, obviously, moving to Pittsburgh, I kind of jumped right into one of the most you know challenging scenes in the entire world uh, in terms of the competition we have. And this very topic until recently kind of never bothered me because I think it's it's a unique sport and that we all want to play it. It's it's different than most professional sports that have umpires, referees, linesmen, so on and so forth, where, where those themselves are outright compensated professions, if you will, uh, even down on the local level, maybe part time, but it's still a compensated job where with pinball, it's like, yeah, you, you your friends are typically involved in the tournament. You want to have that that competition and play with them. And I really never gave that much thought to it because you know the prize pool is ten bucks, thirty bucks, forty bucks, which is you know kind of chump change. You're more at the the local tournaments for for just having fun. And at the same right, you regardless of who the tournament director is, you're like, well, you know, I'm good enough to 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 beat that individual but there's a number of scenarios that have come up recently that have kind of put the the visor over that sacrificial job if you will of of being the tournament director the one who really oversees the, the whole tournament no matter how small and fun it may be or how large and lucrative it may be you know that person like you said has all of these responsibilities from keeping the integrity of the tournament to making rulings to collecting money and ensuring the payouts, to reporting the results and dealing with game malfunctions and, and player misconduct or conduct, whatever, and so on and so forth. And, and, and the list is long and, and it becomes a point where how do you do both, right? Exactly. And, and that is the hard thing about it. And I think that's why in January of 2018 on the Tilt Forums website, there was a significant post that was made that had a lot of eyes on it really and the post yes and the the post was initially made by the pinball narcissist good friend of ours as always evan yes evan bingham from columbus area yep that's right i'm i'm going to read a couple things that were pointed out in this in this post and the entire thread following it but basically he starts off by saying the role of the state representative is becoming more significant he goes on by saying, my opinion is that the super state representative should not participate in their state finals. Now, for those of you that aren't familiar, there are state finals in which every state has a collective point pool where depending on how many tournaments you play in, 
you can earn points that would go towards your final state qualifying and you might be in the state finals. So let's talk about that that briefly. So basically you're saying that over the course of a year, players play in their, their various local tournaments in, in a given state. And in addition to maybe winning a, a cash prize or something at, the, at that particular tournament, that they're also given points that are, are used on a, on a national or international scale uh, aggregated by state? That is correct. So if you take first, you're earning a lot of points that go towards these state championships. Okay. So basically, the tournament director could also be the state representative for these tournaments. Okay. So basically, the state representative is the one that creates the entire environment for these state championships. And Pinball Narcissist points out a couple things. He says, while the prize money is an exciting new benefit to qualifying, it is also going to be a legitimate issue that has to be dealt with in a professional manner. There are many decisions being made leading up to the tournament that affect the outcomes. I'll just comment on the ones I feel have the most impact. First off, venue choice. And this is a very difficult one. The tournament director has the ability to pick the location that may play to his or her strengths. Games in the location that may favor their play style or oppose a specific person's play style, an environment that they're more comfortable in that others might not be. And for myself, going off on on that uh, mark by Pinball Narcissist, it's difficult because you might have a very large state and you need to pull all of the people that are in the qualifying into one venue. Right. That means that there might be some bigger, better players that might not be able to travel for this. It also means that if you play in multiple states, you have to choose one state that you're going to go play in. So, yeah, me being in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, it might not be difficult for me to go to Cleveland, Ohio. But then again, if I do very well at like the Texas Pinball Festival, I might not go to Texas to play in their state championships. Right. So there's an important aspect of this that those smaller tournaments that are held throughout the course of the year, the larger that particular tournament is, both in terms of, of the number of people playing in it, as well as the format, as well as the strength of the people playing in it, determine the number of points that you get for this aggregated state total and so much as you could travel long ways and play in one very large tournament over the course of the year and win it or place very high and end up with just one single tournament in that state qualifying for that state's top how many is it i think it depends on the state size or whatever but it's like 24 people or something like that every year make it to states yes 24 okay so it's possible to play in one tournament in a state and yet qualify for that state where where other states like Pennsylvania may take 10, 15, 20 tournaments to aggregate enough points to be in that top 24. So th- th- there's definitely uh, a state by state variable there of, of how strong that state is, how many tournaments they hold, how strong their players are, so on and so forth. Yeah. And the also big outcome of that is the prize pool. Because in every single state that is being a part of the state championships, for every IFPA-sanctioned event, and that's the International Flipper Pinball Association, they have to donate a dollar for every player for the tournament. And it goes into the prize pool. 
every tournament, every player for the course of a year is is one dollar, which adds up to thousands and thousands of dollars potentially over the course of the year into the state championship prize pool, which is not insignificant. Yeah, that's true. I mean, in Pennsylvania alone last year for the state championships, I believe first place took home over twelve hundred dollars, one thousand two hundred dollars to win a tournament, and. I've won the Pennsylvania State Championship three times, but before they took this dollar into effect, I only won $100 each time. Right. Drastic difference. <laughs> it's a huge difference, but even still on the, the scale of larger sports, esports, professional sports, you know, even their you know, $1,200 may seem, you know, laughable to some, but it's, look, we're, we're 12 times higher than we were in your example now that quickly. And and what is it we're going toward or want to go toward, which is why this is an important topic for discussion. That's true, because, I mean, like I said in the beginning, we're trying to see if this if the role of a state representative is becoming more significant. That also goes towards tournament directors playing in their own tournaments that isn't a state championship as well. Right. So let's we're starting kind of at the at the top here with, you know, this potential very serious conflict of interest so you're saying that a state representative who they themselves qualifies for that state gets to make the choice of the location that's correct the choice of the games they can also select the games that are available for playing the settings also adjust the setups for all of these games and then the most important one in my opinion is the tournament director has the final say on all rulings. And what Pinball Narcissist says is, he says, I think we are overlooking a few things when we say that it is okay for a tournament director to participate in a tournament as long as someone else is there to make a ruling if the tournament director is one of the involved players. A tournament director who is also participating, whether they admit it or not, will have certain biases that might affect their decision-making processes during a tournament. If they know a player might be a potential threat to them in a later round, will they be fair in a ruling involving the, that other player's game? Will they take the time to make sure they are making the right decision while they are being distracted, possibly, by their own game? And I think Evan brings up a big point there. Wow. Because it is a possibility. and. I've actually been affected by that, not in the negative, oddly enough. I went to a tournament, and the tournament director was excited that, you know, hey, here's a player that I have actually watched on the internet coming to my tournament to play. And I was in a situation where I had realized that something happened that shouldn't have happened, and it was basically going to make me lose points. So I said, I have to get a ruling on this, but I already know what the outcome should be. Right. So the tournament director comes over, asks me what's going on. I explain it to him. I have the, the, my, uh, my competitors there that said, yep, that's exactly what happened. And the tournament director was like, maybe there was a malfunction in the game. Uh, I, I think you just restart it. And I said, I don't think that's how that should go. I'm pretty sure that I, I played this whenever I shouldn't have, and I didn't do this. So therefore, you need to give me a zero for this game. 
I basically disqualified myself. And and he was doing this out of presumably some sort of kindness because of, you know, you having traveled to this tournament and being a well-known high-ranking player or something along those lines, I assume, or... And I mean, I, I can only guess, but I think the biggest one there was the fact that here's a player that plays a lot, is might is highly respected. Hopefully, <laughs> I don't know, but uh, but I you know I traveled to go to this tournament, and this tournament director wants everyone to come back, right? Right. They 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 want me to come back. They want everyone to come back. They're trying to please as many people as possible, and and basically in the end, I was like, you know, check the rules, just you can solidify what I'm saying. So they did. They were using the uh, the Papa rule sheets, found it, said, okay, you know, Chris is going to take a zero for this game. And then the other three players are going to play out their games. And then the next player is going to get a, a, an extra ball at the end of the, at the end of the game. And then you, you move on to the next game. And it's kind of strange because like a ruling like that, that can happen even if the tournament director isn't playing in their tournament. But at the time, that tournament director was playing in their tournament. And while that decision was not made to better them, it was still a decision that was made with a certain bias. Right. And I think it's important to note for, for those who aren't aware of the the Papa IFPA rule set that most of us use for tournaments. And it's really easy, you know, especially in a friendly tournament or whatever, to, to just make a ruling, I say willy nilly, but just make a ruling. But the reason the rule book is there is that it's been vetted for year after year after year and, and modified and amended to really try to account for every possible scenario and, and fairness to everybody in, in a tournament. And I, I absolutely encourage any tournament director at any level, whether it's five people playing or 500 people to have that thing handy with you just as a, uh, a professional sports person can refer to, to to their games rule set and rule book on the fly to to get it right. I mean that that's really what it's all about, and that removes any bias for ninety nine percent of the things that come up in a tournament in terms of rules. That's true, and I also think that whenever you have all these tournaments, once we get back into the swing of things after this pandemic is through, I I would like to see us moving in this direction where we're thinking of a bigger picture. And don't get me wrong, I, I don't think that there needs to be strict rules that they can't, but I would like to see some kind of professionalism where we're thinking about how this could go. I want us to be aware that if someone that happens to watch a stream event of a tournament and the tournament director wins it and the tournament director is there giving out awards and goes, oh, and then the first place and the champion is me. You know, that just, that looks kind of shady. I, I agree. Yeah. And and I, I'm looking at this like, okay, like they won it fair and square. Let's, let's face it. But it is definitely something worth thinking about. Right. And, and it may be done with the best of integrity on a fair court and all the stuff that goes with that. But now, like you said, that we're streaming pinball way 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 more than we could have ever imagined a few years ago even down to the smallest tournaments and they're really fun to watch but we're trying to get new people into this hobby and this sport trying to get sponsorships trying to build up these prize pools and you just can't have any sense of impropriety lack of integrity or anything that makes someone watching from home 
and, and maybe wants to get into pinball, just question the authenticity of, of, of these tournaments. Like you said now, I mean, going back to the, the state tournament level, it's like, here's a weird scenario. Uh, I don't know if Evan brought up in, in his uh, Tilt Forums post, but the state championships, the top 24, they're, they're head-to-head matches. So you're playing against one other person and typically like a best of seven round. Those matches are known ahead of time because you need to select the state you want to participate in that you've qualified for ahead of time. Thus, you know who those 24 competitors are going to be. And if so, the tournament director slash state representative is also playing in the tournament. They know days in advance who they're playing against. Well, that opens up the possibility, right, for them to maybe remove games or put in games that play to their own strengths or their opponent's weaknesses. So I, I just don't see any way around having to kind of stop this sort of playing playing for both uh, teams, if you will. It's It's definitely a hard concept to grasp for me because I just want people to enjoy playing pinball. I want people to have the thrill of victory, the sour taste of defeat. <laughs> I know that all too well. <laughs> These are things that it's like, oh man, that's why I enjoy competitive pinball. But if we want competitive pinball to move in a positive direction where we're trying to incorporate people that are not a part of the pinball world, I feel like we need to be as open as possible and as professional as possible. And it sounds so weird to say pinball and professional because right now this is a hobby and it's a sport in the hobby. But even on the IFPA website, they're looking to move pinball in that direction. And this is from their website. It says, the objective of the International Flipper Pinball Association, that's the IFPA, It's to elevate the awareness and visibility of pinball across the globe and generate media coverage and corporate backing to bring the sport of competitive pinball back into the spotlight. Wow. Now, what that tells me (laughs) is we want to be looking towards the bigger picture because that's what we want. It's right there in print. I agree 100%. So I think it would be best for us to try to move in that direction. Okay, so... How do we do that? Because we need to take a step back and bring this all the way back to the local level, I think, to to have this discussion. And when I think about local tournaments that I've run and other people have run across Pittsburgh and places across, you know, Ohio, surrounding states that I've been to, dozens and dozens and dozens of local tournaments, I can't think of a single case where the tournament director that basically sacrificial person, if you will, or maybe a couple people, were, were compensated in, in any sort of, of manner for their, their time and duties and diligence of running all of the things that we've talked about. And so how do you prevent the same person from being the TD all of the time, right? If you're going to go ahead and say, you can't play anymore, well, that's not fair to that person, but they may be the most knowledgeable person about running tournaments. In other words, what's the opportunity cost or what what is going to make them want to step away from the playing aspect on a given night or a given weekend to take on all of those duties to keep the integrity of the sport and, and bring in the media, the sponsorship, the coverage, the money to, to kind of grow this thing, because it has to start at the local level and work its way up. Definitely. 
And I think the most important word that you said there was knowledge, because now there are so many people streaming. There's so much information on the internet right now where you can look up how to restore an electromechanical pinball machine. You can look up how to scan a back glass. You can look up how to clean and wax your playfield. Well, it seems like there needs to be a page that explains how to run a tournament. I agree. The rule books for IFPA and PAPA, I'm, I'm pretty sure that they're basically exactly the same thing now. And you can read them anytime, anywhere. But what I would like to see more of is, wouldn't that be cool if you can click on the IFPA calendar to see a tournament and know who's running it and know how they're running it? What are the rules? What are the payouts? And ultimately, I think it would be cool that, let's just say how you were saying, where there's a person that wants to run a tournament and has always ran the tournament and has always played in their tournament, you can't tell them to stop. But what if that person that was running that tournament was able to pass on their knowledge of how to run that tournament onto someone else that was willing to learn? Right. Then they can switch off and on. It's all about checks and balances. Agreed. Because I, I, I am not advocating that on the local level that, you know, if I offered up my home collection for a tournament, of course I want to play in it. Like you spend years, they're my babies, right? <laughs> you spend years collecting them and maintaining them and restoring them. And yeah, you want to show them off, but you, you know, you also want to see if the skills that you possess playing in your basement by yourself all the time are, can be translated to the competitive scene, you know, amongst the rest of the group. So I, I don't want to take away from that experience, but the tournament itself needs to have integrity. It needs to have more people. And I don't know if that's accomplished by compensation of, of some sort to encourage that or, or what it's going to take to want more people to assist in the running of tournaments to preserve that uh, integrity and, and get that knowledge shared across many people. I mean, I think we're blessed here locally that we have a lot of people who have or are interested in doing tournament directing, but I know there's states that just pinball sparse. There's not a lot of people in their community. One person's kind of taken the reins, so to speak, of of doing the homework and research to, to be able to run a tournament and all of the things that go with it. And everybody just kind of assumes that that person uh, he or she is going to take on that role all the time. And so we need to think about how we can improve that collectively across the board. I, I agree. And uh, and I'm not saying that as soon as the IFPA opens up their calendar, they are now accepting tournament results. I'm not saying that we need to start advocating that tournament directors are no longer allowed to play in their tournaments because th this has to be a future thought process and a future idea that we're striving towards. So yeah, it, it might be nice to to start as soon as you can, but let's not push it. We don't want to push people out. We don't want to push people away. We want to bring people in. We want people to be interested in the sport. We want people to see that these players are winning because they're they're learning and they're playing well and they're on the same playing field as if you were to walk up and press start on on a machine. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think you brought up a great point too, that I'd, I'd also like to see tournament this Saturday, you know, at 2 PM at such and such a location sounds all great. And you maybe even print up flyers or do social media posts and whatever, but 
if you're trying to bring in new people off the street into pinball, it's like, okay, what, what does this tournament entail? What's what's the format? What are the, the percentage payouts? Where where can I learn more about what what is a pinball tournament? Because we have so many different formats and do four people play, do four people play, do two people play, you know, is it a, is it a knockout, a, you know, a three strikes, pin golf, a match play, you know, it just goes on and on, which I love that we have a sport that there's so much variety to. It's not just a game of baseball, a game of hockey, a game of basketball. We're always coming up with 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 new formats, but you really need to know ahead of time what you're getting into if you want to bring in new blood into the, the hobby and sport that they can walk up to the machine and they're already going to be nervous. Try to minimize that with providing as much information as possible as you can ahead of time, along with you know the research and websites and whatever to, to explain how this thing's going to go down so there's no surprises. And I think that's a very important thing. There's no surprises. They know what they're getting themselves into. You know what you have to do in order to progress and qualify. And ultimately, I think it's just the big picture is making a newer player feel comfortable that what they're getting in isn't rigged or it isn't already pre-selected that someone's going to have an advantage. Because let's face it, if you take a, a player that knows what they're doing and a player that has no idea, there's already an advantage. So... Of course, and even having a uh, preconceived notion of that, you know, just the perception of that uh, is is not good. Whether whether or not even it exists in reality, um, this is a completely different thing. So yeah, I I completely agree. I, I, I there's huge opportunity here for change, positive change, improvement that uh, I think collectively across the board could get that IFPA mission statement that you read right where it needs to be in maybe a couple years or something like that once uh you know we get back to some sense of normalcy and you know kind of this whole discussion is under this uh assumption that we will get back to what once was uh, what's that thing tournaments competitive pinball so, oh yeah yeah <laughs> we're, we'll get there buddy don't worry it's just like everyone has to be on board just like with what we're saying how ironic is that that's for sure yeah but i definitely i definitely think that this is going to be something that we need to look forward to in the future and something we need to strive for uh collectively uh, i like the idea of us having the information available for people to look into how to run a tournament as well as hey how do you run a league yeah that is also very important a league if you break it down is just you know a multi-week or a few month set of tournaments right if you exactly break it down you know, maybe you're not getting any payout on a given night, but it's literally a, a, a series of tournaments that culminate in some sort of, you know, finals or whatever. Usually I love league and that's the best part about the tournaments like in, in league is they can be totally laid back, which, you know, for me, you know, you take that pressure anxiety level down a notch and it, it just makes the whole night that much more fun. I like leagues because unlike a given tournament, it's not just, you know, one and done, go home type thing. You're going to have great nights. You're going to have your bad nights. The ability to play and mingle with a whole mix of different people and different locations, usually. that That's really what I miss most right now. Yeah. Traveling is always fun. And just being able to, like you said, to see the people that you're used to playing with. So it's always enjoyable. But, uh, but it's going to be something we're going to need to work on. And I feel like if we have a conversation about it, don't get me wrong. There's going to be a lot of things that's going to possibly prevent people from not being able to have a tournament director not play in their own tournament 
But that knowledge, man, if we can spread the knowledge and train, have volunteers, if we just have people that are willing, you're going to be in the positive on it no matter what. And I think that's the most important thing about it. I, I completely agree as you know, when, when you have multiple people with the same positive objective, that alone usually takes care of most of the problem. You know, when we're all working together toward a, a common goal, which I applaud the IFPA, I think they've laid out a very solid mission. I'm not even sure how many people are aware that that's what their mission is. True. But to get there, we need change. And the good of the sport, the good of the hobby, the number of amazing people you and I both know across Pittsburgh, across Pennsylvania, the U.S., all over the world that we've met over the years, just it can happen. It will happen. It's just we need to go through some of these question marks and, and do whatever we can to eliminate them so that pinball can really latch on like some of the, the, the bigger esports have, have grown immensely over the last few years and some of the competition we've, we've seen. If we want to get to those lengths, um, we've got to be prepared to make fairly, I think, maybe aggressive change and, and, and do it quickly uh, while this hobby is in a rapid growth state. So I, I'm excited, but uh, I think this is a, a great topic. We could probably go on for another hour or two uh, down in the details, but it's a topic that I'd really like to hear our listeners provide uh, some feedback on through our various social media platforms and, and keep the conversation going. Yeah, and I, I think that in closing on this topic for this episode, I want us to look at the bigger picture, but I don't want us to think that anyone's doing something wrong. I think that if a tournament director that is making the obviously biased decisions is doing something wrong, in the end, it's going to work itself out where that tournament director either learns that they're doing something wrong or that tournament needs to change. Right. And I think that the players will appreciate that. I just feel like I would prefer the tournament to change over the tournament not happening because the history of the tournament director and their own tournaments is a negative one. I want it to be, I want to go to this tournament. This person's running it. It's fair. I think that's how it should be. So basically, that's a big thing happening in pinball. And there are other things happening in pinball. And one of them is a new segment that we're going to start doing, as long as it gets good reviews, right? <laughs> Always. <laughs> <laughs> but this one, I'm going to call it the What's Up in Pinball. This will be a short segment where it's a pre-recording thing of all the crazy things that are currently going on grabbing information from various social media sites and basically just a quick glimpse as to what's happening. So here it is. Here it to start us off, recently three separate pinball manufacturers were set to release three different machines with only two being successful so far. Stern released Avengers Infinity Quests with three separate models to choose from being their usual Pro, Premium, and Limited Editions. With a unique shot layout by designer Keith Elwin and coding done by Stern Newcomer and the currently number one ranked player in the world, Raymond Davidson, I would recommend picking one of these up as they may be gone in a snap. Ladies and gentlemen, fasten your seatbelts. Jersey Jack Pinball have released their next title, Guns N' Roses, Not In This Lifetime. A game that at first glance has all the bells, whistles, and lights to go with it. 
These machines can also be purchased using a similar triple tier as Stern titles, being Standard, Limited, and Collector's Editions. At first glance, these machines are looking bright, shiny, and full of toys. It is my understanding that the Collector's Editions are all sold out, but don't miss your opportunity to grab one of these rockin' machines. Time flies when you're having fun, huh? And lastly, the one that wasn't ready for its public release was Deep Root. They released a statement after having a private tour for various pinball enthusiasts to come check out the machines, and it read that they felt that the machine wasn't quite ready for the public. Let's hope they can set their sights straight with this machine and that we can see a finished product by the end of the year. Picture the future. A post by Jeff Teolos on his Pinball Profile Facebook page is helping to spotlight those small businesses that might be struggling to survive the pandemic. On the page, you're welcome to post about a business near you that might need some help, or you can see the others around the world that might need a boost in sales during these uncertain times. This is a fantastic idea, and I hope it helps push the agenda further that we need to come together as a hobby and help these places through this pandemic. Back in my day, we didn't even have flippers! Speaking of the pandemic, the International Flipper Pinball Association, or the IFPA for short, still has tournament results closed. But that doesn't mean that you can't enjoy some good competition. They're running their own challenge ranking competition where you can play against others around the world on like machines. At the start of the new year, they will be taking the top 64 ranked players in this challenge system and having a finals tournament with said players. Full details can be found on their website at ifpapinball.com, so be sure to get those challenges in. That is all for our brief look into what's up in pinball. And now, on with the show. Okay, so that was What's Up in Pinball. And now we're going to wrap up this episode by discussing another fun thing that has happened. And that is the Stern Heads Up Pinball Invitational. And this one was played on the Stern title Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. This tournament had a couple different people from a couple different places. There were eight total competitors. And those eight competitors were Nick Zendejas from New York, New York. Snow Galvin from Denver, Colorado. Escher Lefkoff from Longmont, Colorado. Kim Martinez from Columbus, Ohio. So we had Stephanie Gaida from New York, New York. Raymond Davidson from Chicago, Illinois. Jane Verwise from Chicago, Illinois. And then Keith Elwin, also residing in Chicago, Illinois. All eight of these players played in a heads-up pinball tournament style that was all pre-recorded, and it had bells and whistles, and it was fun. And it was also streamed. Evan, were you able to take uh, take part in this stream? Yeah, I did watch the, the entire stream. It, it was a great way to showcase something completely different, um, something potentially for the masses, which really, like we said with the uh, previous segment, is the direction we want to be going. I thought the personalities that they brought in to do the commentary were spot on. Tim Sexton's like witty, punny, right spur of the moment, just funny stuff he was able to chime in with was just perfect. Jack Danger is known to the pinball community, probably having the biggest following, just an amazing personality. Um, those two doing side-by-side -side commentary was spectacular. Emoto, again, uh, just a great person, well-known figure uh, within the pinball hobby. She's becoming a well-known icon in her own right um, with the Twippies and, and everything she's done with Marco. 
and being able to provide the context and kind of instructional aspect to the, the challenges. I thought they picked the right three people for that. Oh, I agree. The challenges themselves were designed to be quick. I think they made a right call there uh, in some aspects in that I, I think the growing attention span for people watching media content is shrinking collectively across the board. And so if you can't demonstrate or, or do something in, in a minute or two, um, people are going to tune out. So having these challenges that could be completed in a matter of, of seconds to at most a, a couple minutes was definitely the way to go rather than, you know, what we typically would do for a pinball tournament is just kind of play your three balls out, whether that takes three minutes or three days, it is what it is. And you kind of lose people over the long haul uh, watching that sort of format. So this was, was different. This like head to head grueling, fast, spontaneous, uh, format was fun to watch and i think they did a really nice job as well with a lot of the graphics and transitions to try to play into the uh larger media perhaps uh an espn type uh, basis with uh what they were going for here i agree and uh, in the end escher Levkov was able to come out with the victory so escher was able to win a brand new stern teenage mutant ninja turtles pinball machine so that was very very exciting Thankfully, I was also able to catch a little bit of the stream. I think I watched from the very beginning because I was watching on Jack Danger's uh, channel on uh, Twitch. That's twitch.tv slash deadflip. And, uh, and I had a good time. I was chatting with people in the chat and you know rooting for certain players as they were coming up and just having an all-around good time. And, and it was, I like to think it was, different. it was different for me because these are people I'm used to seeing. But it also had me wondering... What was someone thinking that was new to pinball that stumbled onto this? I wonder how they thought that it went. And it, it really got me thinking of what did they do and what could they have done? Now, obviously, this is just the first time they've done something like this. So I loved it. I wasn't going to sit there and nitpick it, obviously. I, it was fun. It was enjoyable. It was entertainment. And like you said, the three commentators that they have on it, Tim, Jack, and Emoto, it was it was solid. I loved the animations. I loved the transitions. The challenges were short and sweet, but still challenging. We had some upsets. It was fun. But I still think there's a couple things I would like to see different. And I believe we each have three things that we would think would be beneficial to add to what they've started. Because I think that there's a lot of potential here. Evan, would you like to go first? Yeah, and I, I completely agree with everything you said. The concept, the people uh, running it, everything's like, this is a good thing. We want to keep it going. But you could also tell, you know, for those of us who are kind of biased, have been around pinball forever, that, and I'm sure they're probably well self-aware of some of the things that you and I are probably going to bring up here. And, and that's fine. But uh, I think this is a concept that needs to go forward. And I think with just a few minor tweaks, this could be a great thing going forward. So let's talk about my three, I guess. We'll, we'll start there. My, my, the biggest thing that I took away was the lack of demoing the actual game. Because for me, I'm thinking, this is an unbelievable opportunity by Stern or perhaps some other company wants to, to do this sort of concept as well it, it, it's an opportunity for them to market and sell their game and i felt like the 
brand new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles machine was itself lost in all of this as a, as a sales point. Um, we really didn't go into the theme, the backstory of the game, the layout in terms of the artwork, the shots, the sort of things that like when Stern does their Jack Danger stream, you know, and bring in all the Stern employees to talk about the game on, on the release day that first, you know, few minutes of, you know, really selling this game before even uh, a ball is put in the shooter lane. I, I felt that they really lost an opportunity to really discuss anything about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the machine itself. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree. I felt like I've actually never played a tournament, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles yet. I haven't either. And then whenever I was watching, I was kind of like, well, what's that do? Like, why are we doing that? So it was a little weird for me. Which is funny because I'm used to having a thought process on a pinball machine as to what I want to do. And it was great because they said, this is what you want to do. And they showed this is how you do it. They had a, a fun transition where Moto was basically explaining what to do. And they had a little screen next to her and she was and it was showing what to do. It was great. But then I kind of felt like, just like you said, they could have really pulled in the machine and what it is it made it worthwhile for people to be like, well, now I want one of those. Right, right. And and also with that, it kind of made me feel like there really wasn't that much of an attachment to the game. And this also goes into my number one, which was I feel like they would have benefited doing actual interviews with the players that were participating so we can have an attachment to the players. And that would also give us a reason to root for someone. Right. If I remember from the stream... All we got was, hi, I'm so-and-so from such-and-such a place. Yeah, and it was like that, and that was the interview. You learned from the interview that this person's from here, but like, it would have been great to be like, oh, this person did this, they they do this for their job, possibly, and and, and they're excited to be here, and, and they want to win this because, you know, they've got a, they've never owned a pinball machine, or they've got a, you know, friends that are into it, and now they want to get better. Like, that would be exciting. Like, oh, I want that personal one, because they don't even have a pinball machine. Right, I've been collecting Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle paraphernalia yeah. since 1992, or whatever. You yeah, know. and that would make me stick around and watch it more. Right. How long have they been playing pinball? Like, maybe this is like a, a newcomer on the scene you want to root for, like the underdog or, you know, what's their national or their uh, IFPA ranking or the whole segment was like, what, a half an hour or something like that? 45 minutes. I, I don't remember. Yeah, it was about that. There's definitely opportunity that that could have been five minutes longer or whatever to allow time to really interview all of the contestants. But I think it also comes back to what you said, where the attention span is diminishing. And let's face it, pinball tournaments that we know them as these days last hours, last days. So having something that was short and sweet like that was very refreshing for me. I loved it. Yep. I, I, I just, I, th I think there was opportunity there to give it that little bit of extra butter, so to speak, to, to learn more about the people playing. That's part of competition. You want to have the people you root for or, or root against. And maybe you don't even know why you're rooting for or rooting against them. But having that uh, interview go just, you know, 15, 30 seconds a person, whatever, to, to learn a bit more about them, I think would have been awesome. Where I'm going with, with my second one is under the guise that the intended audience for this wasn't you or I or potentially people who've been playing competitive pinball for, for a long time. 
Um, it was to the newcomer, you know, someone watching this on social media and, and wanting to draw them into not only Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or competitive pinball, but just pinball in general. And I thought that maybe we didn't lower the common denominator enough in terms of explaining the rules. So I thought Emoto did a wonderful job of explaining each of the challenges and and maybe we didn't touch upon this but the tournament format was basically like a random number generator that presented the the two players uh, in each segment with some sort of of quick challenge um, getting a multi-ball or or whatever and and Emoto did an amazing job of explaining the pinball shots needed to meet that objective and, and win but to a new person coming into the scene who maybe has never even played pinball in their life they don't know what a multi-ball is. They don't know what a ramp shot or an orbit or stand-up targets. Or, and so I, I think there's the need for some sort of uh, telestration to do that. But I think more importantly, there's a need to perhaps spend a brief time on elaborating really basic pinball terminology to people so that, oh, three ramp shots to start this multi-ball. Well, wh- what is a multi-ball? Why, why do I want to go for that? I think that's really important that we we perhaps as we look at expanding the hobby and the sport down to bringing in new blood that we explain the game itself. And I think that perhaps has gotten away from us. Chris, what's your number two? I, I, I definitely agree with that. And I feel like it almost seems like the first challenge should always be what's the highest score you can achieve in a minute or 30 seconds that they had that way. It's like, you can score points doing this. You can do this to score a lot of points. This is worthwhile, but it's risky because it's difficult, but you know, it's got a big payoff. And then after that, it's like, Oh, now we're going to go into these, you know, these challenges where it's exactly what you're supposed, what you are told to do. Yeah. I thought it was weird that the two minute best score, like head to head was like the finals where I totally agree that should have been done up front, kind of this free-for-all, maybe even give them more than two minutes. So it's an opportunity for the commentators to talk about the game as well as the action going on. Yeah, that would have been great. And that actually rolls into mind number two, which is I feel like the use of a Telestrator would have been very interactive. And even having some kind of an, an instant replay on it, because it worked out well that, Jack and Tim were able to discuss while things were going, but I really think it would have been cool to be like, oh, you know, Raymond was able to backhand into the lair just by doing this and he, and they show it again, or they, they basically explain alternate options to doing certain things. But uh, with the challenges that they had, there really weren't that many alternate things to do. Right. But with the score challenge, I feel like that opened up, the window of opportunity to really show, oh, he it would have been nice had he hit this, but instead he hit this, which caused him to drain. And and I definitely feel like an instant replay would have been awesome. Like there were so many big moments that would have been like, oh, let's like you're not always going to get a nail biter where the last shot comes down and a photo finish, but there are definitely some things that you can hype that would be exciting. Oh yeah, there were a number of moments and, and the commentators nailed it. Of course, when you kind of pre-record it, you can do that. Um, <laughs> Cause you, you know what you're going to anticipate, but they, they sold it, man. They really did. Jack and, and Tim did an amazing job with those, but there were a few times where I actually went, cause I, I didn't watch this live. I actually watched it after the fact that I, I went back 
and replayed a clip because someone had done something so quick and so amazing that you wanted to watch it again, perhaps in slow motion even, um, that I just think, boy, an instant replay would have been great or the ability to draw what that person was trying to do, you know, especially in scenarios where they maybe kept bricking or missing shots, you know, three, four, five times in a row. What What is it they're going for? Because at least for me, Chris, I find that the verbalization of pinball is is difficult to translate. Like, I don't do well if someone's like, you need to do this, 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 and this other thing, and that's how you score big. It's, no, let's walk up to a machine and show me what needs to occur. And maybe it's just me, but when you have the visuals there, I, I think that makes a huge difference. And I think that would, you know, for a new person, they'd want to see that. I definitely agree. And that's that's part of the reason why I'm very hesitant for us on this podcast to discuss a game that just came out and we're trying to use details as to how it looks. You know, I, I would prefer us talk about how we played it. Especially neither of us have played it. So it's like, what sort of commentary can you add? Here, go watch this Twitch stream. Yeah, I mean, moving forward, though. Yeah, right. I, I agree. It's... I know. I think it's funny. Uh, my, my wife is actually like, you guys are doing a podcast. Like, why, why would you want to talk about pinball? Like you play it, <laughs> you know? And, right. And when I asked her to elaborate, that's this is exactly what she was talking about. And I'm like, you're exactly right. These are not the things we're going to talk about because they just get lost uh, in, in translation. There, there's no context for you to look at the thing and understand what it is we're talking about. So it's funny you brought that up. Okay, so my number three kind of deviates quite a bit from what we've been talking about. But when I looked at the eight players that were chosen for this invitational, you know, for you and I, it's like, oh, sweet. You know, these are mostly amazing friends of ours that we know really, really well uh, through the various tournaments and activities that you and I both play in. But I was like, hey, how come Chris Stevens wasn't invited? How come I wasn't invited? Like, why were these people invited? How did this all come down? And, and and so what I'd like to see is, you know, a little bit more transparency as to the invitational aspect of the invitational. So, you know, maybe they need to have a contest or something. Hey, do you want to be part of this experience? This is how you do it. And, you know, you need this game to be available to you to play on. You need some uh, equipment for streaming and a good internet. And maybe they do or don't want uh, fairly highly ranked players just by nature of, of, of selling this uh, sport. Curious to see how they, they go forward with this in terms of who they invite and how they do it. Maybe perhaps expand it, you know, to 16 people or something because it, it did go quick. I don't know. I, I just thought that perhaps uh, there's some opportunity here for, stern to allow some sort of contest or other means by which uh people could get uh, invited into this wonderful uh new experience yeah i i was actually in the same boat but my thought process wasn't why not me my thought process was like oh how did they come up with these people like i don't need to be a part of it i'm a part of it because i'm watching it i'm a part of it because i already know these people but it would have been fascinating for me to understand why they chose the people that they chose and then understand that these people that have a chance at winning a, you know, a $5,000 machine, like who wouldn't want to be chosen? Right. Exactly. Yeah. The demand is always going to be way more. And I like how it's labeled as an invitational. 
where I'm sure they are the ones that are picking. But you also have to look at the things that you need to have in order to be able to participate. Like you said, you need to have that machine. I'm sure it needs to be set up a specific way. It probably needs to be cleaned. It has to have the same rubbers and set up as everyone else's. So this might be a good step towards the tournament director aspect that we were saying, where maybe a, a well-known, maybe the state representative comes in and opens up a machine and then they pick who's going to play in it. Or maybe Stern can say, hey, you know what? Uh, let's We need someone from Illinois. Let's have the Illinois state rep do a contest or something to pick one person to play in this. Let's grab someone from Oklahoma. Let's grab someone from Maine. Let's grab someone from California. Like the possibility is definitely there. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you made me think of something I hadn't thought about previously on this uh, whole thing was the equity between the machines. Like it didn't even dawn on me till just now that the two people in a given head to head segment weren't even playing on the same machine. So depending on how much practice or differences and everything from the, the pitch to the angle, to the tilt, to the flipper rubber to, I mean, there's so many variables in a pinball machine that the exact same game from one copy to another can play vastly different. And so how much of uh, Keith's early out maybe was due to something like that. Uh, Just differences in that specific copy of a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Which kind of goes back to my number or the idea of how they select people. Like, wouldn't that be very, very interesting if before they even release the machine, as soon as they announce it and they're on the line to be built, they ask eight people, do not play this machine if you would like the chance to win one. How cool would that be to have eight fresh players that have never played the machine be told what to do in head-to-head format? I think it'd be amazing, actually. <laughs> You're gonna see I think that'd be pretty like fun. Eight nervous wrecks, basically, um, which would be so much fun. I think that would create a really big reaction, which ironically goes into my number three, which is I would like to see more of a reaction from the players once they accomplish their goal. Now, they don't know whether or not they beat the other player because it was all remote play. But if you tell me that I need to start a multi-ball, once I start that multi-ball, I want to be like, yes, I did it. I did what I was supposed to do. And that I felt was lacking. They Once someone spelled lair and shot the lair shot, they just kind of kept playing. And it was like, oh, that was great. All right, let's cut to the next thing. And I was like, you know, that kind of that doesn't have any excitement for me so i really would have liked to see that you know it's just like and then even the commentators can be like oh look you know kim is excited she made that that difficult shot and uh, and that was missing yeah i agree i think uh, reactions are a big part of pinball even seeing someone like uh, josh sharp kicking very very high in the air <laughs> once he makes a save like those are exciting things those are those are things you get to see and with this being recorded i i really think they uh, they dropped the ball on that I, I totally agree i thought there was missed opportunity for fanfare and celebration and fist bumps and like you know i i could have seen like escher's dad adam lefkoff like walking into the scene and like high-fiving his kid and giving him a big hug and, and stuff like that it just seemed like they used that little like a green wind transition like graphic to like just cover up the fact that the player was still playing and had 
like they had to have known they met the objective, but it just didn't always come off that way. And I would have just loved that nailed it championship type moment, you know, even in round one, all the way through the end. I absolutely going forward that the players kind of need to be coached that as soon as you finish this objective, no matter if you thought it was good or bad, act like it was amazing. Exactly. And that's that's a big part of it. It kind of reminds me of whenever we were playing in Pinburg a couple years ago. And let's just say someone drains the ball, but they understand that they have the game won in bonus. If you're commentating on that, you don't want to be like, oh, this don't matter. They have a bonus because that that doesn't build anything. But if they drain like, oh, my God, they drain like, let's see what the bonus holds. It's going. It's going. It's to five thousand. They, they did it like that's exciting. Exactly. That's exactly. so good. And that was something I, I really would have liked to see um, with the reactions from the players, because we know we had the reactions from the commentators. They, they nailed, nailed it. it. Right. It was, it yeah. was great. But uh, but I, I feel like having a little bit more of the recording from the reaction once they finished their task, uh, that would have taken it above and beyond. And uh, I'm happy that we were able to come up with three things each. So uh, so good job. And uh, and I think with that. It's time to wrap up episode two, but thank you for listening. If you would like to reach out to us and continue some of these conversations, you're more than welcome to email us at playbetterpinball at gmail.com. And until next time, get yourself some knowledge and maybe it'll help you play better. Take care, everybody. See ya. See ya.